with the coach. Man. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPG, the podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve Talk RPGs. I'm here with my host, Steve, and we have a podcast for the week. Take it away, Steve. Who are we talking about? Today, we're going to talk about the Genesis Archives, which are uh, a show here on the D20 Network. And as you can guess from the name, they play Genesis, but they are a bunch of nerds, artists, writers, and musicians that got together to collaboratively create stories through tabletop role-playing. And the campaign they're doing right now, I don't I think it's called The Unseen World, uh, but it's this kind of neat urban fantasy thing set in Vegas. Ooh. And uh, I've, I've listened to a few episodes of it, still working my way through it, but it's quite entertaining. Good story. Very good. Well, you know, I, I hope their campaign doesn't have this, but this week's topic is Power Spirals. Oh, yes. Everybody's favorite. Yeah, and dealing with it can be quite a problem. So, I think before we get started on actually dealing with power spirals, we need to sort of define that term. Yeah, that's probably not a bad idea. So, let me ask you, what's your definition of a power spiral? I think for me, it, and this is something, to me, it's, it's a topic that I kind of had to, to learn early, uh, because the first game I ever ran was Rifts. And to me, a power spiral is just when, so to speak, you get into this cycle of, you get a PC that's really big and bad, and so you have to get a monster that's bigger and badder. And then someone else needs a bigger gun or a bigger and badder PC, and then you have to get bigger and badder bad guys. And it, it just spirals up and up and up until eventually it's basically a god fight. Yeah, that's that's pretty good. Yeah, that's my definition of a power spiral, too. It's just basically when the power of your player characters spirals out of control and it becomes a point where it is just finding the next big bad thing for them to fight yeah and i i think too that can be symptomatic sometimes of a game that either intentionally or accidentally has become extremely combat focused i think that and i also think and and i don't want this to come across as a rip on games that do this but i think it's asymptomatic of level-based games somewhat although this thought just occurred to me, but could you have a social power spiral? You could, in theory. Social power spirals can be... They can exist, I, I would believe that. However, I think that would be an easier one to fix, because I think what you could do is you just... Rather than... I don't know. I think that would be an easier one to fix, because you could just sort of basically knock the player down a peg or two. Yeah, I... With, with even just a, a simple setting change. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, yeah, I think the, the, the workaround's probably easier. Yeah. I think with a, with a genuine power spiral, that's a difficult one. Because, so in something like, and I, I know this more from Dungeons & Dragons, and dealing with power spirals in Dungeons & Dragons, what I end up doing is, when I hit the point at which I realize there's a power spiral happening... I basically stop leveling my characters. 
Okay. And I, I, you've hit this point, and you're no longer getting more powerful. No matter what you're fighting, you can keep fighting them. You're not going to get more powerful from it, you know. And then it gets to a point where they go, okay, well, we want to fight the next big thing. Well, at that point, they're risking themselves, and if they die to that next big thing, we're back to square one. They're back to, you know, where we started, right? Right. And I think that helps because it forces your players to be risky, whereas in a power spiral, it's the whole point of a power spiral is they're not risk-taking. They're fighting things at their same level, they're gaining power from that, and they're just becoming the more powerful being in that area. Okay, I see what you're saying, yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. I think, to me, power spirals more often, at least in, in my brain, occur because of either some synergy that the player figures out uh, with different abilities, or maybe multiple players figure out a way to do something together, or, as is probably more often the case, that you give the players something as the GM that's a little too cool. Yeah. Well, let's let's start with talking about I accidentally gave my players the overpowered weapon, <laughs> which is probably the the single biggest cause of this happening. Yeah, I hate to say it, but in Dungeons and Dragons it's actually really easy to fix that. In other systems it might be a little bit more difficult, but because in Dungeons and Dragons most of the equipment is magic based, what you can do is, if you realize you you messed up and you accidentally gave them this super powerful sword, let's say you accidentally gave them a sword that, I don't know, does too many things. Mm -hmm. Before you give them that, and this is something I do with all of my, almost all of my magical items, I give my players doubt in the magic item that I've handed them. Meaning that I try to instow that as they have this item, maybe the big bad guy is spying on them. Maybe it's maybe it's causing them to actually be weaker. Maybe it's causing them physical harm in some way. I give every magical item a negative effect. Mm -hmm. Unless it's something super mundane. Well, yeah. Well, you know what, though? And the other thing, if you've got a party, specifically if you have a party that, you know, again, in D&D terms, if they're not readily using, say, an identify spell all the time, you know, they're just relying on arcana checks or whatever, you can you could have a lot of uh, fun with, say, a very powerful weapon, but that's cursed, you know, and, and as an example, I mean, the um, the sword that uh, Matt Mercer gave Grog yeah. two-thirds of the way through campaign one, a critical role, that thing had some really nasty side effects. Yeah, it did. And with me, I look at it and go, is it is it anything that's super mundane? So, like, is it, is it a bag of holding? If it's not, if we're starting to get into weapons, how powerful is it? Is it a plus one? Okay, a plus one might not have anything bad attached to it, or anything that bad attached to it. Might just cause you mild nausea. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Is it a plus two? Well, that's a pretty powerful weapon. Yeah, especially for, for fifth edition numbers. Yeah, is if it's a plus two, that's a pretty powerful weapon. That might actually have some ramifications. You know, maybe I'll make you roll a con save every time you make an attack with it. Maybe I... And I might not have that drawn out completely, but I know it's going to do something to you at some point. It's going to come back to bite you at some point, because, you know, weapon power spirals and letting your players have weapons that are that are basically too big for them is something you need to really punish for. Well, I, don't, I wouldn't say punish, because... Well, it's, I, I agree, it's... it's 
so to speak, if, if your player ends up with that, it's because you put it there for them. So it's your fault. And Right. But I would say more of, if you put it there, play with it. That's Yeah, that's fair. You know, I don't have a problem with having a, you know, a use have consequences. Consequences are, are a cool thing that you can, you can fiddle with. But like, I think you got to watch too, because just taking it away, just that makes players angry. If you take oh, a, yeah. take away a player's cool toy, that's going to make them angry. And it doesn't matter what you're playing, whether it's D&D or Cyberpunk or Star Wars or, or anything. If you take the player's cool new toy away, that's going to make the player upset. Well, and at the same time, though, if you want to take it away, plan it out. Yeah. So you have an idea of, and, and you need to have a justified why and a justified how. Because if you don't have a why and a how, your players are going to be like, mm. yeah, make sure you have a, a very good why and how that got taken away. And in the case of some of the more powerful magical weapons I've given my players and I've taken them away later, it has normally been the why is that it's already cursed. And the how is that the person that put the curse on the weapon is back. Yeah. Basically claiming their thing. Like, that's mine. Yeah. The other thing, though, and this I've heard this mentioned before, you could also take the, the angle of using it as a story hook, because a lot of times, if, if you take away the party's cool new thing, they're going to chase it. And yeah. so now you, you've got a whole new kind of, you know, story arc, thread, whatever to pull, because if you take players' cool stuff, they will chase the, the offending party to the ends of the earth and attempt to get their cool stuff back. Or even better, take one of the players with it. Yeah, if, you, if you've got a player that you know is down for that kind of thing, absolutely. I mean, if you're a barbarian and you have this big angry axe and it starts telling you to go in a direction, I want to see, like, as a DM, I start making my player go, why don't you roll to see how convincing that is? Yeah. How convincing is it that you just walk away from the party? Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing, too... And this goes, I guess, again, more to level-based systems. But in a case where, like you're saying, you know, the item is too powerful, if you if you have it, so to speak, stolen, you can work that angle to a point where maybe it's no longer a weapon that creates a spiral. Right. Maybe it's the weapon that levels a spiral. Yeah. Because if, if this gets in the wrong hands, that's always the, you know, you've heard that in movies and other things. If this gets in the wrong hands, then what? Well, you know, if you really think about it, a power spiral is the exact same thing as an arms race. Yeah, it is. And in cyberpunk, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. You know, I've, I've heard stories of how fast can you get things that go boom? Yeah. Well, and I think though, what do you want to say? I think some of that too, it is, if you're constantly having trouble with power spirals, maybe try and not focus your game so much on combat. You're not wrong. And if you really like combat, I don't know. Maybe you need to do some reworking to your combat. Maybe you need to make your combat a little bit more deadly. Yeah, deadly. Well, yeah. If if you can find a way to make combat deadly or at least have significant consequence, that can, can slow things down. That's not always an easy thing to do, depending on system either, though. No, it's not. And it's not a, it's not a guarantee that it will fix your problem but certain systems you can make them more deadly you could make D&D more deadly by adding like I said challenge ratings in Dungeons and Dragons are what they are and I don't know a lot of people that follow them but I do follow them 
mainly so I know, okay, my challenge rating's this for this level of party. I can run them through that encounter and see how fast they wipe that. If they wipe it really fast, I go up maybe two, three, depending on how fast that combat went. Okay, now we're talking about a challenge rating that's four levels higher than them, and they're really struggling. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah, and I don't know, you know, it's a tough issue. It really is, because, you know, adjusting difficulty of a combat encounter on the fly, I'd say it's a little easier to turn it down than it is to turn it up, but not necessarily. I don't try to turn it up on the fly, and I'll be honest, more about test and result. Um, Yeah. So if they're blowing through a combat encounter that I'd already pre-made, I'm going, okay, well, that was a test. And the result was my players just ran straight through it. So in reaction, I'm going to up the next combat encounter and I might add a combat encounter that wasn't there. Mm-hmm. That's another thing. D&D, something that a lot of DMs do, and I, I know I do it myself and I try not to. They like to give you space between combat encounters, and if you want to make D&D more deadly, you start playing with exhaustion. Yeah, that can be a big factor. If you start getting into this situation where it's, and I'm not saying like 40 combats in a session, I'm saying like three back-to-back, where it's you finish up with one combat, you come out of a room, you come into the next room, and the combat's just as hard or even more difficult, your players are going to be like, I think my character's going to die. I, I think I'm going to pass out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, well, just not even necessarily combat, but if you can figure out a way, and again, especially to D&D, but even in other games, if you can figure out a way to to inhibit their rest mechanic. Yeah. You know, that that's a, uh, especially the way Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition is built, that's a huge thing. You know, other systems, not so much, but pacing can, can, can help a lot. Ammo in Cyberpunk. Yeah. You know, it, it's a matter of Cyberpunk goes from a lot of fun to absolutely terrible as soon as that gun goes click. Yeah, that's true. You know, and I think, though, this also circles back to, and sometimes, especially like for me with Rifts, you know, when, when I was first learning gaming, really, the big thing with Rifts is just, you know, going back to our our you know, the episode we did about saying no. Sometimes you just have to say no to an idea because all it's going to do is, like, for those that aren't familiar with riffs, and I won't go on to another big long rant like I did, you know, a while back, but there's plenty of stuff in the book that is bigger and badder and bigger and badder and bigger and badder and and so on. But all that does is you're just throwing bigger rocks at each other. That's all. Absolutely. And that happens with other games too. Like, Cyberpunk, I keep bringing back up, because 2020 has that problem in in just numbers. Rifts does it. I feel that, you know, it's something that's sort of fixed by more narrative games. Mm -hmm. And by this time, our actual play will have released, correct? Yeah, the first episode last week. So, Genesis, which I've been sort of like, hey, Genesis. I like that it's a generic system, and narratively, when your gun goes click... That's when it matters. Mm-hmm. We don't count ammo until we count ammo. Yeah. And that's something that that's something that narrative games got right, because even in combat, they can be fun in combat. Genesis is a lot of fun in combat. It is. It, it's a little bit different. You know, it, it took me a little while to get my head around it, and, and even more playing it for the first session, you know, which is what you guys will be hearing, 
yeah, I struggled a little bit to not think in the more concrete D&D style combat term. Right. And that's something I really, walking away from that actual play we just recorded, that's something that really stuck with me is how efficiently that worked and how well that worked in combat. And it's something that I want to try and roll into my other games. You know, I've done it in the past where, say we're playing D&D again, just to keep going back to it, because I think it's one of the biggest, like, biggest power spiral problems. And it's the most prevalent game that you'll see it in. If you have a ranger who just keeps shooting arrows, roll some dice and ask them how many arrows they have left. And if they can't give you an absolute number, be like, you have five. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it matters. You know? Mm-hmm. Now it goes from, well, I was a Gatling gun the entire combat, and now I only have five arrows. I gotta make those count. Yeah. Yeah, th- that's a good way to do it. You know, especially with, with anything ranged, you have ammo. So, I mean, yeah, you can play with that. Um, add a weapons, add a weapons, uh, degradation system in your game yeah that that could be a little tricky to figure out depending on the game but yeah well cyberpunk has that built in though for your armor yeah cyberpunk has it for the armor is it still in red it is no longer an optional rule technically it was technically an optional rule in 2020 although right pretty much everyone that i talked to played with it but it is written as raw in cyberpunk red good because we played with it and that was great because it was like well, I don't want to take too many shots to the body because then my armor is effectively useless. Yeah, and and as your armor, you know, the way their degradation works, you get hit harder progressively as your armor gets weaker. Yeah, that makes it more deadly. Again, that goes back to the, can you make combat more deadly? And if, yeah. you, if the answer to that question is, yes, I can, I have a way of doing that, then you have found a solution to your power spiral because at the very worst, and, you know, I'm not a big fan of killing characters who've been playing in a campaign for, you know, oh, we've been playing a campaign for 10 years, but if it's gotten so bad recently, the threat of death is a serious, serious thing that you can just go, hey guys, here it is. Yeah. Another thing you could do is play with the action economy. Some way, you know, force, be it movement or any type of thing, you know, where, where you somehow make your players use other actions. I think part of the Part of a power spiral, and I know we just sort of talked about this, but part of a power spiral is that the players no longer fear death. Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. And they're getting more, for lack of a better term, ballsy. Yeah, I I think, okay, let's put it this way. For the way I like to play games, I think they work better if the PCs feel a bit vulnerable. Yeah, I agree. And to that end, I try and watch character creation and and what I give players um because I don't want to have to I don't want to have to work really hard to make character A feel threatened and what does that do to character C and D right no I I can understand that completely however I don't watch character creation as hard I just I let them do their thing and then evaluate as the time goes on yeah, well, and I would say most modern games have been well enough designed and play-tested that you don't... Initial creation isn't going to be horrendously imbalanced, but you do have to watch when you get into third-party supplements that may not go through 
the the testing and the that type of thing that official published materials may have. Yeah, that homebrew that you want to add to the campaign may not be great for your power spiral and just be careful. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's probably I think where most of your problems come not so much in stuff that you find in core game materials. Now, not all game systems are that way. You know, like I said, you know, I've mentioned riffs how many times already tonight, and all I got to do is, oh, you think you're hot stuff? Well, uh, let me grab a dragon, or oh, we've gone past that. Okay, well, let me grab a splugorth. You know, th- there's right. stuff there, but let me just straight up play into your character's insanities, like. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it becomes, yeah, at some point you can just grab Godzilla and then they're like, oh crap, but then how do you resolve that? Yeah, and what does the world look like when that's done? Yeah, that's the problem with dropping a nuke on your players is now you have to deal with what does the world look like. Yeah, you have to deal with the fallout. And fallout is something that new DMs struggle with, and I know I struggled with it, and oftentimes there's ways to get around it but yeah it's it's a, be prepared for when you have this if if you're going to have a big world ending battle be prepared for the world tag or whatever's left of it yeah yeah that's true and this is something you know that for me that i i struggle with a lot of time looking at at a campaign world is you know how does this world actually function you know i i've said before and and this is kind of one of my complaints that I'll level at at Dungeons and Dragons is, you know, if you think about it, your average, say, fifth level adventuring party, what's to stop them from walking into a town and declaring themselves the kings? You know, not a whole lot. I mean, usually, and and I'll say this, usually there's a overarching, like, world ending thing. Usually there's a, a carrot hanging in front of the horse, essentially. Right. And if you were to just do that in most cases, and this is not every case, but in most cases, if you were to just walk into a town at fifth level and be like, we own this, this is ours, everybody be gone, a decent DM would be like, okay, this is what's going to start happening. Basically, the world's just going to start ending because you've decided to no longer play the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, it's just, you know, like I said, that's, that's something that, that I think about a lot of times when I'm, when I'm trying to run a world is, how does this function as a whole, not just in this little bubble around the, the party? Right. And at the same time, I think that could be a really fun cyberpunk concept. Yeah. Well, there's, there's so many things, you know, that a couple yeah. of players just take over a city block and this is their territory now. Now you have gang wars. Oh, yeah. Oh, it could be. It could be. Yeah. A great idea. Like now it becomes turf wars. Oh, that's great. I like that. I'm stealing that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, power spirals, I don't know. I, I like it's one of those things that that's just stuck in my head to avoid, but it's kind of hard to articulate the how other than thinking ahead and just not setting yourself up for that problem. Avoiding is a little bit more difficult than just dealing with it, if I'm honest. Avoiding is I mean, coming from the guy who works most of the time off the seat of his pants, avoiding is a lot more prep work than I put time into. I think it's a better skill to have where you can acknowledge a power spiral early and take the steps to dissuade it. Mm-hmm. Avoiding is avoiding is a lot of estimating what your players are going to do, and that can be difficult a lot of the time. 
even with a well-known group, it's hard to say. It's hard to say what this one's going to do or that one's going to do or when this happens, what's this one going to do or how's that one going to react? Yeah. And that can be a tough situation. And I think it's just better to get in the habit of plan on there being a power spiral and make a plan for how you're going to get out of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, that goes back to, to something that, that was said way back when we had uh, GM Eric on, where sometimes maybe the best thing to do is say, okay, we're going to take five or we're going to take 10 minutes and you go think for a minute and, and get your head around what it is that you want to do. Because I think the, the biggest thing is if you sense a power spiral happening, you want to try and take steps to mitigate it, I will say. Not squashing it may be a bit of a daunting an extreme task. step and, 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 yeah. and daunting, but to kind of get it under control is, is, I think, needs to be your goal. Yeah, and I could understand that too, is trying to get it under control is definitely a more manageable step, but keep that in mind that trying to get it under control is a step towards actually stopping it because you don't want to let it get back out of control. Yes. And you just have to make the plans. Like I said, it's once a power spiral happens, it's easier to react to it than it is to plan out for it, in my opinion. At the same time, understanding and acknowledging it and seeing it beforehand is something that really, and I know it's a bit of an odd thing to say on a podcast where we try and give you gaming advice, but the only way you're going to recognize power spirals is by seeing them. That's true. It is It is kind of an experience thing. And, and once you've seen it start to happen, even as a player, you can kind of see those signs. Oh, yeah. And think about, you know, me and you, we went through that first, like, level in Strahd with B running it as a, uh, as a one-shot. Oh, yeah. And between me, you, and the other player, we just leveled everything. Yeah, well, that was, yeah, it was, it was one of the more advanced sections of it, but it was a weird kind of synergy of abilities because of classes. You know, I think I was playing, uh, what, you were playing a sorcerer wizard? Yep. And I had a, a cleric thief, and... I was able to, I forget what you were doing, but I popped spirit guardians and then was able to use the room to keep getting sneak attack. And so my damage output was through the roof because I had an AOE and damage bonus. And I know you were doing sorcery points and all kinds of crazy stuff. Yeah, I was, I was quickening evocation spells. Aha. And so I was going, um, I want to blow things up fast. (laughs) And then I was, you know, because I, because I cast a spell, I still had more actions. Like, because I used Quicken Spell, I still had more actions. And it was just doing dumb things like range touch. And I was using sorcerer abilities to cast range touch wizard spells at range. Mm-hmm. And between me and you, we just were, we went into that first combat and it's like, okay, well, um, bomb, bomb, bomb. And you're doing your own thing over there. You got like half the room. I have the other half and we're done. Yeah. <laughs> And that was just, it was a kind of a weird synergy. I mean, we were playing everything strictly by rules as written, but, you know, it... And neither of us had sat down and been like, well, what are you making? No, no. It was just like, oh, I can do this, and, well, this seems to make sense, and, you know, it, it is, too. It's a player thing, because if... I know what happens to me, okay? If you put me in a combat scenario, and it, it is very much a more tactical setup, my brain turns on like a different mode and and I go into kind of a top down, you know, almost like a like a war game mentality. Yeah, and I do that in D&D because that's what D&D is. It's a war game. 
yeah it's it's a miniatures combat game i'm sorry it's a miniatures combat game with the social abilities tacked on top of it but you know in other games i can't think that tactically about them yeah yeah but well i think though too you know this goes to where i've heard some people say this and i really do think it it's truer than a lot of people want to admit characters in D D are fantasy superheroes they are yeah they are that's that's there's a reason why in most campaigns you don't run into another paladin you don't bump into oh well there's just another rogue it's an npc yeah dms unconsciously know that for the most part these characters are they're the specialists they're the ones that are there to do the job and you're not just going to have like you might have a thieves guild but you're not going to have another rogue yeah or if you do they're probably not going to be uh, unless they're kind of one of your main bad guys they're not going to be on the same tier as the players right that's something you could probably have a little bit of fun with yeah i think one of the things that to me my brain keeps going back to though is is working on your using your pacing to use up resources you know like you were saying with ammo or spells or you know in genesis you know using up strain yeah you know it, rpgs no matter how much in in many games i i'll say no matter how much you want to say that it's it's a storytelling game there is a tactical and a game side to it and because of that there are finite resources and on some level it becomes a game of resource management yeah and i think it's important that you need to play with those resources i don't know how else to put it as a dm you got to start using the resources that your players have because if you don't you lose sight of what they have access to yeah and if you don't start using their resources then they're never going to feel scarcity and scarcity is one of the things that keeps you hooked yeah it, it makes you feel vulnerable yeah and you know it's just the fact of is that like making things more scarce makes you feel more vulnerable it also makes you hold on to them a little bit more so if if i realize i'm running out of arrows and you know i go to town and i refill on arrows i'm gonna be a little bit more conservative about how many arrows i'm shooting next time yeah you know i'm gonna be more cautious about you know ooh, my weapon is starting to degrade I'm going to be a little bit more cautious about using that particular weapon. Mm-hmm. And there are creatures in D&D, and I'll just say this, there are creatures in D&D that are specifically built to help with the power spiral. You know, Grey Ooze, which is one of the big ones. Rust monsters? Right, rust monsters. Those are things, you know, those are things that are meant to help with, oh, I have a player, they're overpowered, they're using this magical stuff, but it's just really killing me. All right, fine, here's a rust monster. Now their armor's junk. Now their weapons are starting to degrade. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, exactly, yeah. And I think, though, us having this conversation and in, in, in my brain going as it does, I think the maybe the single biggest point I could make as to trying to avoid slash limit power spirals is to find ways to make your PCs feel vulnerable without it being direct combat threats. Right. Oh, yeah. Making your PCs feel scared in, in anything that's not a combat encounter is, is, well, hilarious, but also awesome. Yeah, and I think, you know, I think a lot of times, if you can, like you said, if you can make them feel threatened in a non-combat scenario, you're going to get good roleplay out of it, and they're actually going to have fun with it, even if you if you told them that's what you were going to do, they'd be like, eh. But, like I said, well, if you do it, 
you get good role play out of it and you also you also bring people sort of out of their shell and that's one of the things that a power spiral can do is your more introverted players can go right back inside their shell because they're playing that fighter that's just overpowered they don't need to role play them anymore you know what i mean i hit things really hard and that's what i do or if if they're not the player that that has the the thing causing the spiral they kind of just fade into the background because they don't feel like they're a significant contributor making all of your players feel like the main character of the story brings the table back together yes you can switch focus between players and have you know a session or so of like i want to go to critical role real quick and talk about every character has had sort of their own little story arc Mm -hmm. but even during their own little story arc it's still been prevalent that all of the characters are there yes there's no one character that is the main character of critical role and we'll go to maybe session one or campaign one you know grog's a great character but he's not the main character of critical role season one no and what's happening with Vex and Veth is, or Vex and Vox is not the main characters. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, they have their own things, but they're not the main characters. Yeah, I, Vax maybe a little bit, but like it's it's a one one a thing. You know, just because of how much the Raven Queen tied in, but that really came out of you know the the failed save in that crypt. Right. Like I said, that's just a story arc. Yeah. In, you know, <laughs> the romance between Percy and, and Vex. Vex. Yeah. I my brain like was like not Vax and I'm like, but it's it's the other one. <laughs> um like that's not a main character storyline, but that's a main character storyline. And Campaign Two does this with the story of Veth and with the story of Caduceus and Molly Mock and Jester and they all have their own story arcs. Yeah, they do. And then that's something that they've done really well. And I'm sure to a point that's been planned, but that is something you can plan in your home games is to, to have a little arc that focuses on this player or that player and, and work your way around the table. Coordinate it with your players. If you know you have a player that's a little bit more in their shell and you go to them and say, hey, how would you feel if I gave your character sort of their own little adventure arc? Yeah. And they go, yeah, I, you know, I wrote this whole backstory. I'd like that. That'd be nice. Yeah. Okay, cool. Here you go. We'll, we'll get there eventually. Maybe we won't go there right away, but we'll get there eventually. Yeah. And you know what, though? There, there are players, too, who may not really be all that comfortable with that. You know, I mean, I, right. I did hear some, some commentary from, again, to talk about Critical Role for a second, to, to Travis when they had the, the fairly large arc earlier in Campaign 2 that was largely focused around his character. You know, he did say that he was a little bit slightly uncomfortable being in that being that much in the spotlight. And this is a person who is a professional entertainer. Right. I mean, he's also new to Dungeons and Dragons. Yes. But, you know, it's one of those things where we've talked about a session zero and I'll sort of talk about a session zero point five where maybe before the session, everybody's sitting at the table and you're sort of talking amongst yourselves talk to your players talk to your players before the game talk to your players after the game after session zero you don't have to stop conversation of what do you want to do in this like start getting an idea of what your players want to do yeah even during the campaign ask your players straight out right if you give them a puzzle at the end of a session ask them straight up all right what's your plan so you can make plans around that yeah 
it's also, I think it's entertaining, you know? I would have never guessed that you guys would have tried to do a smash and grab at the at the museum. Mm-hmm. But you did. And I was entertained and pleased. And I asked <laughs> what the plan was. And you guys were like, yeah, this is the plan. I'm like, okay. All right, cool. Well, I, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, the the, the, the running joke in, in the gaming community is that no plot line ever survives first contact with the players. Well, that's true, but it's because stuff happens and, and you're both the players are reacting to the GM and the other players and, you know, everyone's reacting to everyone. And so you just, there's too many variables to, to predict things. You know, it's, it's like Ian Malcolm's chaos theory. Yeah. Again, you don't really need to predict things sometimes. Sometimes you just need to ask your players what they're thinking. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, it's like I've, I've said it, you know, my, my GMing philosophy has, has kind of evolved to where I have bullet points and I try to be ready to put them in a different gun if need be. Yeah. I think one of the things that DMs and GMs like to lose the forest through the trees and they like to get out of role play. You know, you, you plan too much ahead and you don't role play as much now. Yes, you're voicing characters. Yes, you're reacting to conversations. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying the impromptu rolling with what the situation is that you would do as a player, sometimes you lose as a DM. That's true. And for me, like I said, I've said this probably a million times at this point, I'm a very low to no prep DM. I have a plan in my head, and that's about all the prep I'm going to do. I'll make up characters if I need to, but I'm very low to no prep. And me saying something, reacting to how my players react to what I just said, is a big part of how I enjoy and want to play role-playing games. Mm-hmm. And that can really help limit power spirals as well, because if you don't know what's going to come out next, they don't know what's going to come out next, and you can't have a power spiral if it's this big shrouded in mystery. Yeah, that's fair. But I think that's a whole nother topic. Yeah, well... Being a DM and still role-playing, but... Yeah, and I think that's that's where, you know, you have to read the table a bit and understand or or not maybe not understand, but have a feel for for what your table wants. Right. And you know what this table wants? What does this table want, Steve? This table wants to get into game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. Game of the week. All right, I'm going. Okay. I don't know if I've talked about it, and I really don't care if I've talked about it or not. My game of the week is Tales from the Loop. <laughs> uh, you got bit. Yeah, I got bit. I got bit pretty hard. I got bit by Genesis. I got bit by the Evil Hat Games Dresden Files. I got bit by Twilight 2000. So I, I learned, and we learned collectively, that there's a really awesome, and I'm going to shout them out, there's a really awesome game store in the Pittsburgh area that sells a ton. And I mean, it is... It is <sighs> It is almost the perfect role-playing game store. It is Game Masters over in, what is that, North Hills in Pittsburgh? Yeah, up near Ross Park Mall. Up near Ross Park Mall. Great owner. One of the coolest guys to go talk to. And has just a phenomenal shop. I love that place so much. And it's about an hour drive for me at this point. But honestly, when we ever, if we ever get back to anything normal... There will be me and Steve meetups at that store. I promise. <laughs> yeah, that is, it is. I mean, we went up there a couple of weeks ago and, you know, obviously did the, you know, we were 
standing around the store reasonably distance as, as, as good people should. But I mean, we ended up talking with, with the owner for what, at least an hour and a half, just about this game, that game, half a dozen, all kinds of stuff. And the only reason we left when we did was because we had to get back for a game session. Yeah. And I would have, we could have easily stood there for another hour. Oh yeah. And what ended up happening was we went, I looked at all the stuff that was there and it was like, I want this, I don't want that, and I want this, and I didn't know that there is a Savage Worlds Flash Gordon. I didn't know that existed. I want it now. <laughs> Anyways, I ended up picking up the RPG for Tales from the Loop, mm -hmm. which is, it was an Any Award winner in 2017, and it rightfully deserves that sticker on its cover. My goodness, is that an awesome, awesome book. That's cool. I, I I've heard about it a lot. I've only ever heard it played once, but yeah, I know it, it. I've heard a lot of people rave about it. The Verge says that it's channel Stranger Things and E.T. I can understand that. I could get where they get the Stranger Things vibes, but that game is, it's, you play a kid, which kids can't die in that universe, but they can be beaten up. They could be abducted, you know, like there's bad things that could happen to them, even though they can't die. But it's a really cool game. The art's so awesome. It's the 1980s that never was. Like, it's just this really, like, I, I can't wait to get it on a table. Like, I just can't. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's a tight 200-page book. It is the right amount of, it's 192 pages. I'm sorry. It's, it's the right amount of fluff with the right amount of, of game, like, everything is just perfect. Cool. And, and yeah, that's going to be, I can guarantee that you will be hearing, you'll be hearing some Tales from the Loop being played. And if you're not hearing it, you're in, <laughs> you're in my campaign. <sighs> and what do you got, Steve? Well, I was browsing around drive through today and stumbled across something that, well, you and I have had enough conversations, just sent you the link. I found Justice Velocity. What is the velocity of justice? Many say it's difficult to quantify, that it even evades common metrics of measurement or full understanding by the rule of law. One thing's for sure, however. You should be able to gauge it as it comes hurtling towards you. Hands grip steering wheels as rubber grips concrete. Seedy underbellies trade bullets with the law and set moral shades of gray ablaze. Napalm and nitrous are as indispensable as your ability to hack or maneuver cold machinery. So this is... this. Let me tell you what comes to my mind, because I just watched this movie the other day. This is the system that I run a Fast and the Furious game in. Well, exactly. And then, like a couple lines down from the little bit I just read, it says, inspired by action movies like Fast and the Furious, Rush Hour, or... Why do I keep doing that? Or Bad Boys. <laughs> I keep doing that. Consistently do that. I've done it twice now. <laughs> yep. I, I literally just found this, but... um says it uses a, a 2D6 rule system, mm -hmm. so I'm guessing it's pretty simple. It's a small book, only 77 pages, so it can't be, I wouldn't think, too complex. But uh, yeah, it's PDF is 10 bucks. They do have a, a pay-what-you-want quick start, mm -hmm. but even like, you know, it is also available print-on-demand through drive-thru. cover with the PDF is 20 bucks. Hardcover is 30 so, I mean, but like I said, it just looks like, like I've been wanting something that does that type of action well, and 
I'm going to have to at least read the quick start because. Yeah. I, uh, I'm down for this, man. <laughs> you get this on a table, you know, I got a spot. Like I will take off work if I have to. <laughs> I will be sick that day. I don't care. I am down for this. Oh yeah. But it just looks, it looks fun. It does. That looks fun. That looks like a lot of fun. Uh, well, so yeah. with that, I think we've reached the end of the episode. Yeah, I think so. I want to thank everybody for listening. Yes. And we want to remind everybody to be kind and play some RPGs. Yes. And come find us. Discord, email, Twitter, Facebook. Facebook, yeah. Whatever. Throw a dart at a dartboard. We're probably there. Yeah. But come um, find us. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, be kind to each other. Go play some RPGs. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can also find us at facebook.com slash meandsteverpg. Thank you and be kind to each other. How much for the cigar? Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.